I think just having a, a conscious of your risk management, how much risk that you're taking on, especially as you get closer to that transitional phase of getting to retirement. That's not to say that you, you can't that you don't take risk in retirement. It just you know want to make sure you're taking the right amount for yourself and for for your plan as well. Welcome to the All Things Retirement Podcast with certified financial planner Anthony Alpha. Here's your host, Ben George. Glad to have you on All Things Retirement. We're talking about music today. This is, yes, we're still a retirement planning and financial planning podcast, but we're going to kind of put a different spin on our conversations about money and talk about some of the lessons we can learn from the richest musicians in the world beyond music. And uh, Anthony, I think you're like me. We're not, we don't have very, uh, very musical background. I never made my friend laugh so hard as to watch, let them watch me uh, try to play the guitar. So it, <laughs> it literally made no noise out of it uh, when I tried. So and my brother is uh, very talented. He can play you know, multiple instruments. So uh, that whole left, left side, right side thing, uh, you know, he got one whatever part is the artistic side and I did not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I took piano lessons. I did some guitar lessons early in life, but uh, neither took. Um, so I'm with you. I don't have much musical background. I try to sing from time to time. I don't do karaoke, but I'll sing to myself or my daughter. <laughs> but that's about as far as it goes. That's about the end of the road for me and yep. music. But there are some musicians that have made a ton of money outside of music. And so we're going to talk about some of the things they've done and the approach they've taken to building their their nest egg and building their brand that maybe we can apply to ourselves. We're not going to have the millions and millions that these guys have, but you know, the lessons that they, that they can teach us, I think can be applied to everything we do. And that's what we're going to help you with today. But I do want to start with a little bit of news, a little headline for you that, you know, we like to try to keep it topical from time to time here. And, you know, one of the bigger stories recently, General Motors announced that they plan to sell only electric vehicles by 2035, which is just over you know, just under 15 years uh, from now. Do you think this is realistic? And I know you're not, you know, in the conversations at General Motors and knowing exactly what the blueprint looks like, but do you think it's realistic that, that things happen this quickly? And do you see any uh, investing implications from this news? I can tell you my father-in-law is not going to be happy with that. <laughs> Car guy? <laughs> he wants that truck to make noise. I know that. <laughs> and his Corvette that he just uh, got, I know he likes the sound of it much more than the uh, sound of a Tesla. So, um, <laughs> but uh, look, I, again, I don't know GM to your point in terms of what type of hurdles they have to go over, but I mean, they've been around for, I don't know, over a hundred years. So I don't, you know, for them to take that long to be able to make that a goal, it doesn't sound like, okay, great. I mean, Tesla <laughs> did it <laughs> a lot quicker. So, yeah, you know, if it takes you that long 15 years uh great i don't know that it would be that tough if they really were committed to it it might be more of a brand thing right and what people are buying from them they want trucks but again i don't know enough but um in terms of it being an investment i think it's probably already priced in right if, if we're talking about it now uh it's already been figured out you know i think the retail investor is the last person to be finding out things and it's already been priced into the market, you know, good or bad. And speculatively, I have no idea how well their electric cars are going to be in 15 years and whether that's, you know, worth in investing in. So. Yeah. It makes you wonder where Tesla will be in 10 years, you know, 
when yeah, you they'll be onto something different. <laughs> it'll, be, be, yeah. it'll be fueled by something totally different than electric. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe it takes that long to transition everything over to yeah, electric. Yeah, I'm I sure mean, it's the facilities it, you know? and, and stuff like that. And then you got the existing car base. So I, I being a little facetious in, in right. some ways with my answer. Yeah. Interesting to follow, nonetheless, electric vehicles. I, mean, I, can't, I can't picture an electric Corvette. Um, uh, yeah. just something about that wouldn't be right. Be pretty quick happens. off the line, I bet. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Just wouldn't have the sound to it at all. But uh, we'll see how this goes. This going to be. This seems to be the future, and a lot more of a movement towards this. And we've seen the the embrace of Tesla and a lot of what they've done recently. So definitely something for us to watch. All right, let's jump into uh, musicians, and I'm going to run through. I've got a list today of. Let's see here. We got four different musicians that I've got on our list today to go through. Kind of cover some different genres, so depending on what kind of music you like, we're going to maybe have you covered here today. But let's start off with the Broadway, the theater sector. Andrew Lloyd Webber, net worth $1.2 billion. He is the richest musician in history. I don't even know if you knew that. I didn't know that before doing the research, but you probably know him from the work he did with Jesus Christ Superstar, Cats, Fan of the Opera. All these brought in millions and millions of dollars, plus their soundtracks, film adaptations, all this stuff, right? He also set up a company, though, in 1977 that ensures that he shares in the profits of his works in any form, which also includes all ticketing agencies and venues, which in 1977, that was very forward thinking. So what lessons can we learn from Andrew Lloyd Webber? I have nothing in common with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> 1200000000 and... Uh artistic so and obviously very 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 business savvy so yeah uh i didn't know that he was the the wealthiest so learned something there today too you know the the residual income there is is going to be something that i think everybody can learn from right whether you are a business owner you need to pay yourself first but thinking about your exit strategy is that going to be something that you're going to have something that's sellable where you're going to be able to create a residual income from. If not, and if you're like maybe other people who are maybe in corporate or uh, working for somebody, we need to create a nest egg so that we can create a residual income in the future. And there's plenty of ways to do that later on down the road. But the hardest part is having some type of engine that creates a nest egg to create a residual income with. So for the for I think the average person who's not, you know, a business owner that can create some type of residual income from selling something of their business, you got to make sure that you're paying yourself for first by putting money into your you know, retirement accounts or other types of saving mechanisms so that at some point down the road when you actually go to retire, you can obviously create that residual income for yourself. Otherwise, in order to do that, you might be looking at doing some type of other side hustle that you can create. You know, so there's obviously a lot of people doing things online today that are generating income and revenue share along the way. Obviously, that really depends on your situation and what you're good at. But some people have been creating a lot more side hustles these days to have some type of other residual income because there's plenty of sales out there, industries that will do some type of revenue share where you can create that. But for, I think for the average person, the takeaway is really to build up, pay yourself first so that at some point down the road, you are able to create a residual income if you're not one of those lucky uh, business owners. Yeah, important to keep that income coming in no matter what part of your life you're in. So 
Uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, $1.2 billion. Learned that mm-hmm. new today. All right, let's talk about Bono. You know Bono, you too. Front yep. man, net worth, $600 million for Bono. Listen, he's made as much in venture capital, his forays into venture, venture capital, as he has his music. You probably didn't know this, but he is a major investor in the Facebook IPO. And when you look at his tours, and we think about you two selling out venues all over the world, right? They're an international band. But their 360 tour grossed nearly $800 million from 2009 to 2011, which made it the biggest tour in history. And on top of all that, he's got a ton of other investments, including a clothing line and a five-star hotel. So Bono has done a lot to build up his brand and his business side, but net worth $600 million. Seems like he's going to be all right. He's going to make it, I think. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> diversification, right? So he's got yeah plenty of uh, other businesses uh, that are doing something else that are you know obviously completely different from uh, singing at the end of the day. So I think the average person that can take away is that it it makes sense to have your own plan set up with other things going on, maybe besides whatever the predominant tool that you're using, whether that's an investment account, whether that's some type of business income. There's plenty of other options out there, whether it's real estate investments, there's obviously business investments, side hustles, uh, portfolios managed by advisors, portfolios that you can uh, manage yourself or invest in your own stocks. There's pension plans that you can create if you're a business owner. There's pension plans that you might get from your company, cash value life insurance, annuities, you know, social security. So th- there's plenty of options out there. And I, I don't think, you know, people go broke from saving too much. It's just making sure that you have different types of investment options that are doing different things uh, that maybe are not what's called correlated, not doing the same thing at the same time. And almost like maybe in, in a lot of good cases, negatively correlated. So you have something that's doing well and something else maybe not so well, and then vice versa, so that you have a what we'll call a buffer asset to go to in case the stock market is is down to help avoid some of those bad markets and taking money out in retirement then. And then, uh, you know, diversify the type of tax bucket it's in. So not, you know, not having it all in IRA, 401k pre-tax buckets, look at putting some in the tax-free Roth side or after-tax type of investments like real estate and, and or business where businesses are owned, and uh, or even just regular accounts like that as well on the after-tax accounts. So just having from a tax diversification, but also an investment um, diversification standpoint will go a long way uh, in retirement. Absolutely. A great lesson to learn from Bono. All right. How about let's shift over to the hip-hop world. Talk about Sean Combs. You probably know him pretty well, Anthony. I, bet, I, I would imagine you've listened to Puff Daddy through the years at some point. Yeah, we've, we've had some Puff Daddy in the uh, <laughs> the old CD player back in the day, sure. You might <laughs> also know him as, as P. Diddy or Diddy, but bottom line is his net worth over $500 million. And I think when a lot of people think about him, they think about his the empire he's built. I mean, I, I don't even think we know about some of the songs and, and the music he's been involved with, but I think a, a lot of people think about his Sean John clothing line. He owns a piece of Ciroc Vodka. He's got his own cable music network. Um, the music side of his business is about 20% of his revenue, which is pretty impressive when you think of how much his net worth is. So what is Sean Combs doing that maybe we can learn from and apply to our own uh, financial plan? That's interesting. I would have 
figured it was like you know eighty percent of his revenue. That's uh, yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, clearly, he's in, you know investing in things that people are utilizing. Uh, you know, different staples, whether it's uh, cable, music. Obviously, alcohol is a big one, and and clothing line there. So I think that you know a good takeaway is uh, you know have a good staple of what's actually working. And so, you know, obviously we get a lot of phone calls or questions about things like, you know, Bitcoin that, you know, could be a, a fad or, you know, a tech bubble back in 2000, which was, I guess we'll call it another fad that didn't really add up at that time, that it just makes some sense to, I'm not saying that don't take a flyer on it by any means, right? And if it's part of your play money or that you just totally believe in it and it makes sense to you whether it's investing in a business or something like Bitcoin, that you should still, you know, keep your entrepreneurial spirit and, and to uh, look at it. But I don't know that I would sell the farm to jump into something when you have all these other things that are working well for you as well. And so, yeah, maybe your investments are vanilla at the end of the day. But if you're still getting that 6 7% growth and it's working for you from a financial standpoint, does it make sense to go and take a bunch of risk in other areas that are not really quite figured out yet. And uh, there's certainly the opportunity risk of, of being the first to the party, but just kind of figure out maybe from a planning standpoint, what the trade-off there is for making such a radical change at the end of the day. So you, know, you see that also people getting swept up in in real estate that maybe don't have the expertise. They, they see people making quick money and they want, they figure that they can just go and do it. And it's not to say that you can't, but you see what they want you to see sometimes and not what yeah. <laughs> everything that they went through prior to where they're at today. Uh, so, and I would just say that for a lot of people when, if you want to take a flyer on some things, maybe just make that risk exposure all up to a certain point, uh, 20% or less. Yeah, I think you, you see a lot of the victories that people enjoy, but you don't see a lot of the failures along the way. And that can really kind of trick you into believing one one thing when really it's not completely the truth. So the tried and true methods, you know, they've worked for a reason over the years. All right, let's finish it off in country. Dolly Parton. You probably know Dolly because, well, she's written a ton of great music through the years. She has a park called Dollywood um, that she bought in 1986 and rebranded it after herself. But you probably don't know that she's written a lot of the songs you know, that, that maybe have been made famous by other artists like Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. That's her song, but became really famous when Whitney Houston performed it. But she's just done a really good job of knowing who her audience is, but also marketing her brand. You know, one thing that I don't know if you're aware of this, but we're speaking of Dolly. You've got kids, Anthony, young kids. Do you know she's got a, a reading program that she offers? Mm -mm. She's got a, I think it's called Imagination Station or something like that. But you sign up for it, it's free for parents, and you get a book every month. They just send it to you in the mail. Really cool, but it just kind of speaks to like what she does. Not only does she make a lot of money, but she gives back a lot. Yeah, I don't know too much about uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, she no? was just on a Sunday morning CBS show, the morning show, not too long ago. Oh, because she was uh, showing herself getting uh, the COVID shot. So that ah, okay. was like uh, one of the celebrities that they've been trying to uh, show off getting the COVID shot. But she's a, yeah, a little bit out of my time. I'd say it's more in uh, would be my, my parents' uh, genre. Not that my parents <laughs> listen to country, but more from an age standpoint overall. So 
not really getting down with Dolly too much. But what I would say is that um, she seems like she's really made more of a took more of a risk management approach, which I think we can all, you know, building it slowly and conservatively or, you know, protecting what she's built up over time. And I think that people at some point, right, uh, get to retirement or when they're thinking about retirement, in some ways feel like they have to catch up and maybe want to keep pressing the gas pedal down. And and in some cases that, that might make sense. But I think for a lot of people, there's no need to take, you know, a lot more risk and start to focus a little bit more on protecting your assets. I know a lot of people all, oftentimes feel like they're behind. Uh, but at the same time, you know, losses do hurt more than gains help, and especially the further you get down the road of building up that nest egg, it hurts even further when you when you really take a chunk out of it. So I think just having a, a conscious of your risk management, how much risk that you're taking on, especially as you get closer to that transitional phase of getting to retirement. That's not to say that you, you can't that you don't take risk in retirement. It just, you know, want to make sure you're taking the right amount for yourself and for, for your plan as well. Yeah, I didn't even mention Dolly's net worth, but it is $450 million. So she has parlayed that, that country girl persona and her story into a very nice little nest egg. But um, just another, really another lesson we can learn along the way. But it just shows you like, you know, there's these pe- like some of the most famous people, they've been really good at one thing, but it's everything else they've done along with their career, all the other stuff they've put in place financially has helped them get to the point that they're in. And hopefully some of these lessons you can take and apply to your financial plan and your retirement plan and to become as successful as, as all these people. We're not going to, we're not going to have a $500, 500 million. We may have a $500, but we'll have a $500 million net worth. Maybe we will, Anthony, if, you know, things really break the right, right way for us, but there are things you can do to build a very comfortable nest egg that you can live very confidently in retirement and enjoy it the way you want to. So that's it's not in my goal. plan. I can tell you in my financial plan. It's not? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> $500 million uh, lifestyle is not in my plan. <laughs> Doesn't mean it won't happen, but I, I just don't see it. Right. Exactly. Well, let's, let's close out with a couple of mailback questions here before we get out of here on all things retirement. Maurice wrote into us, said, I have a stockbroker that I've worked with for 30 years, long before I even moved here. I like him very much. And I think he does a great job, but I really have no way of actually knowing. How can I grade his performance? Well, that might be difficult to do uh, from a investment performance. Uh, that's what I presume that you mean, because otherwise performance and the relationship and what he's doing for you sounds like you found somebody that you really like and that you trust. And that's super important, uh, maybe almost equally as important as judging how great his or hers uh, performances from an investment standpoint. I think it's hard to figure out in some ways for the average person, especially if you're adding in there like additions and withdrawals that might have taken place or if they've jumped from one company to another. It's going to be pretty difficult to kind of figure out that math exactly. But then you're also going to want to figure out what do you measured up against, right? What's the right benchmark? So is it the S&P 500? Not necessarily if you're somebody who's invested in 50% stock, 50% bonds, that's not really the right benchmark, right? You would, you would probably choose a benchmark that's closer to a blended benchmark of a 50-50 portfolio to match it up against. And if it's, it might have, your risk profile maybe have changed over 30 years as well. So it, it's going to be something that the average person might have some trouble trying to figure out. Now, there might be 
information that this person already has for you and it's already on your statements, that's something that you can certainly ask them for to get a better idea in terms of how you're matching up. Some statements already kind of do provide some of that and, and some advisors kind of do show different benchmarks, you know, when they have review meetings. But I think the big takeaway is it sounds like you got somebody that you really like and trust and that and that's just don't lose sight of that, you know, because that's that's hard to find. It's a good point. Good point. Think grass might seem greener sometimes, but that relationship is so valuable in most cases. All right, Aaron writes in. I've heard a guy advertising that he specializes in retirement planning for people who have at least a million dollars saved. I fall into that category, but I'm not sure if he actually has a specialty or if he just wants people with more money. Is that really a specialty that exists? Yeah, it sure is. And and we certainly put ourselves out there as a retirement specialist, right? And what we have are our designations to back that up. Our, we have a book, podcast, uh, teach adult retirement courses. We have published articles. Uh, the majority of our clients are in or nearing retirement. So we're helping them figure out things all around retirement, issues like Social Security timing, pension strategies, uh, you know, helping them to figure out how not to run out of money, how to take money out in the most tax efficient manner, Medicare planning, long-term care planning. So these are all things that are around that, that topic or focus of uh, retirement income planning, you know, and so it is something that exists. So I think it's just really a question of asking that advisor, how is this your specialty, right? And some, some are going to show you a lot of that, that criteria and others maybe are not. And then that'll, you know, obviously your antenna is already up at this point. So you're probably already on the lookout and we'll get a sense of it pretty quickly, whether or not this is genuine or not. So that's just a good question to really ask an advisor that you're interviewing. If this is an area that you're looking for help in, you know, prove to me in some form or fashion that you are a specialist in this. That person would probably do pretty well with those musicians then, right? That have, uh, Millions and millions of dollars, I guess, potentially, that we've talked about today. Yes. So, so, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, sounds like that. that's uh, <laughs> one of his criteria, right? Having at least a million bucks. So I think Bono would uh, yeah. fall into that category. Yeah. Bono and, and P. Diddy would definitely, of them. <laughs> would definitely fall into that category. Well, thanks for that question, Aaron. We appreciate it. Again, if you have one for us, you can find Anthony and his team at Cardinal Wealth Group online at cardinalwg.com. You can find out about those retirement classes. The book, the podcast, everything is there on the website, cardinalwg.com. If you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. Also on Apple Podcasts, they call it following now. So please follow the show. If you haven't already, also on Spotify, I think they're calling it uh, follow as well. So please do that. And we have two episodes every month. So uh, plenty more to come. Going to talk a lot of different financial and retirement planning conversations. So enjoy this one. Um, I wish our music background was a little bit better, Anthony, but you know, you, you play the hand that you're dealt, right? That's it. Yeah. Take care. We'll talk to you soon on the next episode of All Things Retirement. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.